0: Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Hope you're doing well. Thank you guys so much. For those of you who are here in the house, thank you for being here. Those of you who are out on the backstage patio, I think you guys have the best seat in the house today. Um, I'd love to be able to preach from there right now. So uh, it's beautiful out there. And thanks for joining us online. Those of you who are online, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, we did a, we're doing kind of a series of... Within a series, of course, we're in the current series called short stories the parables of Jesus and Jesus often would tell parables to compare one thing to another in fact That's part of the reason he did it He did it in a variety of different ways and most of the last part of his ministry with everything publicly he did He used parables or short stories to convey this a truth that he wanted to convey And so we are continuing in kind of the series within a series on the prodigal son, on the prodigal son. And of course, last week, if you were with us, uh, you uh, heard about the two different sons. And we often look at the prodigal son, uh, but we often don't look at the other brother, the other son. And so we looked at both and found out that both had a problem. And the problem was sin. And one uh, had sin lead him to a place Of focusing on self and selfishness and all of the things that consumed him, things that made him happy, things that pleased him, things that gratified him. And the other brother, the good brother, the older brother or the older son, uh, he was consumed with self-righteousness. And so here's the really cool thing about Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what he was doing, and what we kind of didn't realize, or maybe in the background you might have seen, is he's telling this particular story in the context of speaking to two different groups of people. One is a group of tax collectors and sinners who are represented by the prodigal son, and then he's also speaking to a group of people who are Pharisees and religious leaders who really are represented by the uh, older good son. And they really kind of, Jesus in this moment, is really dividing and kind of making us see the difference between pursuit of self and self-righteousness. Not righteousness, but self-righteousness. And both things are born in sin, and both things lead to disastrous results. In the case of the prodigal son, he crashed and burned his life. More on that in a moment. In the case of the older, like, good brother, uh, he, because of his self-righteousness, ended up being, uh, you know, having that relationship with his father and his brother broken. And so we see that, and I think my challenge to you last week was for us to look at our lives and to see which of those brothers, which of those sons, we tend to be a little bit more like. Do we tend to be like the one who is selfish or the one who is self-righteous? And so those are two things that we wanted to consider and we took a look at. But here's the amazing thing. As we have just sang about the beautiful name of Jesus, which I love the beauty and the power in the name of Jesus. The Bible speaks of the power of just the name of Jesus. And it speaks of the beauty as we just sang about the name of Jesus. And we just sang about the idea of God, uh, God the Father sending Jesus to this world And what he did on the cross was so incredibly merciful. It was so incredibly forgiving. And so what we're going to see today as we talk about the Father in this chapter is something of mercy and grace that is absolutely astounding. It blows our minds how gracious and how loving and how forgiving the Father is. And I don't know about you, But I, for one, I need that kind of forgiveness. I need that kind of mercy. I need that kind of grace from God the Father. And the fact is, is that you and I, we struggle with rebellion. We struggle with going far from God. Even after we've accepted him as our Savior, we may have that temptation or that inclination to to stray far from God. And that's exactly what the prodigal son did. That's exactly what this younger son did. Jesus says he's telling this story. He tells the story that this son decided that he would, um, he would demand his father's money, demand an inheritance that he didn't deserve. He didn't deserve at the time, and he didn't deserve the amount that he was looking for. And the father gave it to him. The father gave it to him. He granted him his request, and the son took all of that money and went off to a foreign land. And he got involved in in just fulfilling the desires of his heart. This this utter rebellion, and, and he 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 fueled himself. He fueled those desires. He fed those desires, and he was all about what essentially amounts to uh, having fun, gratifying the flesh, uh, money, and and sex, and everything that he wanted to be about. It was completely, completely a, an overspending, a moment of overspending, a, a season of overspending, and it ends up that he is destitute, that he's in this place where he's homeless, and he's penniless, and he probably doesn't even have any food, the Bible indicates, when Jesus is telling this story, this parable, and he does what you and I often do, At the bottom of the barrel, when things are as bad as they could get, he decides, I have no other, what, choice, but to go back to my father. And he also does what you and I do, and on the way, I can just picture him kind of kicking the stones, going, what am I going to tell him? How am I going to present this? And he makes up what he's going to tell the father, and he is scared to death to return home. I want to ask you today, have you ever had that moment? Maybe, maybe when you were a little kid and, and maybe you did something, um, you did something that was just an act of utter rebellion. I, I thought about having you raise your hands on this, but I thought it'd be a little bit unfair. Like, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you ran away from home? Did you run, from, run away from home once or twice in your life? Um, I know I had the desire to run away from home once. I just thought, man, cannot believe my dad is making me mow the lawn every single week. you got to be kidding me. I'm too young for this. There's labor laws being broken here, right? Child labor laws. I'm running away from home, packing my bags, getting out of here. What was your act of rebellion as, as a child, as a teenager? Was it telling your parents that you were with a group of people that you weren't with? Was it telling them you were going to the home of someone that they knew really well and in reality you went to your boyfriend or girlfriend's house? What was your act of rebellion? Was it cheating on a test? I don't know. What was that act of rebellion? But I don't know about you, but but do you remember in that act of rebellion when you A, either finally came to your senses or B, even worse, got found out? That's my story right there with my dad. I remember multiple times. I remember thinking, there's no way... There's no way he's ever going to forgive me. Forget mowing the lawn once a week. I'm doing it every day for the rest of my life. It's going to be pure punishment. <laughs> I remember in college, um, coming home, I think it was my sophomore year, and I, I got a D in an economics class. Only D I've ever had. Only D to so this day that I've ever had. And I was so embarrassed I was so embarrassed. And here's the, here's the really sad part. I was embarrassed that I got a D. I even tried in the class. I, I kid you not, there were classes I got A's in that I didn't try in. But that class was just a difficult class for me. And, and side note here, the professor got fired the next year. So I'm just saying. It maybe wasn't all me. But I remember coming home that semester from college and thinking, my dad, my dad is going to be so outraged. This is it. I'm done. I don't know what he's going to do. He's probably going to take my car away. I'm going to have to walk to college, which is a long way away. It was actually in three states away. But anyway, I thought, you know, this is it, man. I'm done for. And my dad totally shocked me. I came home, told him, because I knew he was getting in that day and age. You got, you know, your grades came in the mail. Do you remember that in college? Like you knew you were getting the bad grade, and you would wait weeks for your parents to find out. It was horrible. What do I do? Anyway, so I went ahead and just told him he took me out to eat. I was like, what are you doing? Seriously? We had a chat. We talked, and he reminded me of how much he loved me in that moment. And I was shocked. I was so incredibly surprised in that moment. I don't know if you remember that act of rebellion and what you thought had coming to you when you returned home. Or maybe you've seen someone in your life do the same thing. That they are so incredibly nervous about returning home. And that's what this boy was doing. He had gone out and he had spent everything on crazy, wild living. He had lavished upon himself All the gifts of the world. And here's what happened in the story that Jesus tells. Luke 15 verses 20 through 24 is all we're going to take a look at today. Jesus telling this story. It says that he he arose and he came to his father. This is the picture of someone who had been rebellious and returned to home. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off... His father, I want you to say this next next word with me. His father did what? He saw him. And he felt, what's that next word? Compassion. And he ran and he embraced him. And I want to say the next word. He what? He kissed him. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, it's like he's mid-sentence. He's like about ready to explain act two of all of the things that he did. He's getting ready to fess up, right? And he's, he's kind of like on the counseling couch, and he's telling all of his bad deeds. And the father just interrupts him in a good way. <laughs> he says... His father said to the servants in verse 22, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and, what's the next word? Let us celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. And his father just goes overboard on lavishing the, the, these presents and these gifts and this forgiveness on this son who was wayward who did the worst things possible now let me stop for a moment this is not a, a bible lesson on a, on being a good parent right here okay so all you kids that are like Look, dad, look, mom, look what, look what Jesus' story is about the prodigal son. You ought to you know be a little more, you know, a little bit better to me here, right? When I do these kind of things, you ought to just like go get the ring and the robe and the sandals. That would be great versus what you gave me last time that I got in trouble. Okay, this is not about parenting, but it is, isn't it? This is about God the Father's love. And how much he lavishes on you and on me when we are far from him in rebellion and we choose to return. He gives us forgiveness that we cannot even understand. Here's his immediate reaction. He sees his son. Listen, I want you to hear this. The father was already looking for the son. In his mind, his son was already dead. Why would he be looking for a dead man? It's because he loved his son so much. He, hang, he hung on to the hope throughout his life as a dad that his son would one day just show up, even though they assumed that he was dead and gone. The father in Jesus' story sees his son. He's looking for him. He's paying attention, and he recognizes him. And listen, that's what the father does with you. That's what God does for you. He is looking for your return. Even though there may be people that don't believe in you, and they think that you've gone so far into rebellion that you can't return, God believes that you will one day return, even if the rest of the world says you're dead. That's how much he loves you. He's paying attention. He's looking out for you. And he sees you. Second thing the father did was he he felt compassion for his son. He had emotion for his son. He was moved to run. That's the next thing that he does. He, He is moved to run. He is moved with so much love for his son. And that's what God the father does with us when we return, is not only does he see us far off, but he's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. So much so that he decided, this is the third thing that he did, he decided to run and greet his son. Now, in that culture, in that day and age, a patriarch never would have done this. He never would have done this. He never would have run, he never would have honestly pulled up his tunic above his knees to be able to sprint out to his son. It would have been the most humiliating, shameful thing that he possibly could do. People would have looked at him and gone, what has gone on with this man? He has gone crazy. And he was crazy, in love with his son, who's returning so much so that he would embarrass himself. He would shame himself to run to his son. And it's exactly what the father does. That's his, his immediate reaction when you and I are pursuing a life that's not living, lived according to him. And we decide it is time. He doesn't care what the motive is. He doesn't care about the why. When we return to him and when it's sincere, he runs out to greet us. And Jesus' story even includes this one little phrase. It says he was a long way off. So he saw him. He had emotion for him. He ran to his son to greet him. One author says, Trevin Wax from the Gospel Coalition, he says this. Here is the picture of salvation. God running towards mankind with outstretched arms, not only to embrace us, but to take the nails reserved for our punishment. A lot of scholars believe the reason that the father ran, the reason Jesus in the story has the father running is because he knew that his son was returning home and he didn't look so good. If you remember from last week, he was basically living with the pigs. (laughs) He, he, He needed some Old Spice real quick, right? This guy did not smell good. He didn't look good. He'd been homeless He'd been penniless. He didn't have any food. He probably didn't even have shoes on his feet. And the father knew, if I don't run out to him, people will see him. And in that culture, when they saw someone who was far from home and had done all of these things that had been rumored about him and that may have been true, that he might have been beaten up, might have been killed. And so the father runs to him, and that's what he does with you. And then the last two things that the father does is it says that he embraced his son and he kissed his son. He was willing to be that shameful, that you know, that slobbering father or mother, that parent that just is like, you remember that, Remember those moments? My dad used to kiss me before I went to school. I was like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> My friends are going to kill me, man. Please stop, dad. Stop, dad. You know what I think about that in the times that I was far from him? It's exactly what I wanted. I wanted his embrace. I want you to hear today that you and I, we may never receive that from an earthly daddy. We may never receive that from an earthly mom or parent or spouse or friend or person. But today I want you to hear that the father's reaction, God the father's immediate reaction when he sees you do the 180 and start to return is to do everything, everything shameful for him. So that you know that you're embraced and you're loved by God. See, when we decide to return to God, he immediately sees us. He immediately sees us. He sees us far away. He has compassion for us. He runs to greet us. He expresses his love for us and celebrates that we have returned. That's why we sing about the beautiful, powerful, merciful name of Jesus, because it's true. God sent him to do all those things that were shameful and embarrassing on the cross because he loves us so much. But not only do we see his immediate response, I want us to look at his generous reaction. We have the father's immediate response. He sees him, he runs out to him, he recognizes him, he loves him, and he embraces But look at his generous response. I love this. He gives him a robe, he gives him a ring and sandals. Now, let's be honest, in today's day and age, if that were us today, the story would fall flat. It's like, hey, just give me the money, right? Give me the money. Can you Venmo me? Like, just send me some Venmo, Zell, I'm fine with Zell. Like, just give me money, dad. If you're gonna, like, lavish rewards on me, Today, it's not going to be a robe or a ring. I don't know, maybe a ring, but anyway, and probably not sandals, not shoes. But each of those things represented something very significant. A robe in that day and age, It, it represented love, it represented love and grace. And so the fact that he says to his servants, "Go get me a, a robe," it, it, what he's doing by putting a robe on his son, he's not only covering the, the physical shame that he might have been under, but he's also saying to his son, "I love you." A robe represented forgiveness. A robe represented a covering of our past, the ring. have been akin to what we would call a signet ring it would have been something of a family ring it would have been the the father essentially saying go 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 into my home go into my bedroom get the family ring he needs identity have you ever been so far in your rebellion that you felt like you even weren't even the same person like man they're they're gonna write me out of the will I'm about to change my name. I've done so much wrong. I'm not even even me. And you see, by the father bringing him a ring and putting that ring on his finger, he's saying, you are mine. The ring was a symbol of of value and identity. So you have the robe that represents love and, and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And then he brings him a pair of shoes. Remember, the son would have walked a long way because he was in a faraway land. He would have lived with the pigs, and he probably didn't have any shoes. And in that day and age, that was a picture of embarrassment, that you had lost your way, that you were homeless, that you were purposeless, that you were missionless. And sandals represented purpose and mission and value—that's what it represented. So by putting that robe on, he was telling the son, "I love you. I'm, I'm providing you grace, a covering for your sin and your shame. And I'm going to give you this ring that gives you value and identity—the family name. It was—it was, it was identification—is that he was an heir, that he was a part of the family. And those sandals represented mission. It represented purpose. It represented this—that even though you've been a far, a long way off. You have a long way to go in your mission. And listen, I want you to hear, Christ follower, that when we return to God, that's what he does with us. He symbolically puts a robe on us and he says, you're covered in my sacrifice. Your shame is no more. Start living like you have no shame because I've covered it, the Father says. He puts a ring on your finger and it says the name of your family. It says that you are an heir to this family, that you have identity. And he puts sandals on your feet because Jesus is saying that you have a hope and a purpose, regardless of how far you've run from God. It's so interesting. I want you to think in your mind um, right now what you think of when you hear the word prodigal. The word prodigal. The word prodigal, for most of us, can we agree, means rebeller, rebel, someone who's done something wrong, someone who's maybe turned their back on someone else. Prodigal has a a negative connotation, does it not, church? You, You can talk back to me, it's totally fine. Doesn't doesn't prodigal have a negative connotation in our world? We think of it, and we think of, oh, man, you can call me a lot of things. Don't call me a prodigal son or daughter, right? Shameful. The word in the original language, you know what it means? It means lavish. It means absurd or overflowing. And so when we talk about the prodigal son, he left and went far away from home. And he was prodigal because he took all of his wealth and he spent it on him. He spent it on himself. He lavished it on him. He he spent absurdly on himself. (laughs) He went overboard with his lifestyle. You know, this story is not just about the prodigal son. It's also about the prodigal God, isn't it? It's about the prodigal God. Because once the prodigal son returned, once he had, once done with spending all that he had, staying longer than he ever thought that he would stay and going further than he ever thought he might go, he returned home to a father who was prodigal in that he lavished forgiveness and mercy and grace on a son. And listen, church, that's what God the Father does for you, and it's what he does for me. And aren't you thankful for that today? See, our rebellion leads us to overflowing, absurd, and lavish living. And so we all are, in many ways, the picture of the prodigal son. You are a prodigal son or daughter. Happy Sunday. (laughs) I am too. We all are. So every time we sin, we rebel against God. But every time we return back to Him, it prompts God's overflowing and absurd and lavish forgiveness. And we aren't dead the moment that we go on the spending spree of our lives, we aren't dead then. Listen, we are spiritually dead when we forget about the fact that he is the prodigal God. And what is waiting for us when we return is lavish forgiveness. That's when we are spiritually dead. And so today, I just want to remind you and challenge you that there's nothing that you have done that God doesn't know about first and foremost. And that he has not forgiven already and he's waiting for you he's looking for you he's watching for you when he sees you he's going to run towards you bible says when we draw near to god what does it say he draws near to us he's going to run out to greet you and then he's going to celebrate and there's just like a little part of me that like in this moment actually does feel sorry for the good brother, don't you? Isn't there a little part of you that feels a little bit sorry for the good brother? And it's kind of like you want, you want to go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, give us act three because it, it never resolves. And I think he did that on purpose for the audience. See, our rebellion leads us to overflowing, absurd, and lavish living. But our return prompts God's overflowing, absurd, and lavish Forgiveness. From day one, God has been a God of lavish forgiveness. The Old Testament prophet Micah reminds the nation of Israel of this Micah 7 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast what? Love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Speaking to God, he says, you will cast our sins into the depth of the seas. You know, back when Osama bin Laden was killed, the US military made an important decision to take what was left of him, and they dropped him into the bottom of the sea. And listen, they did that for a lot of different reasons. They wanted the world to forget about the terror the harm, the chaos that it caused. That's a little bit like the Father does with our sins. It's, that's, what, that's what God does with us is He takes the worst of us and He takes it and He drops it into the bottom of the deepest sea. The problem is, is that we are reminded about our sins sometimes and it causes us not to return to God. What's keeping you? What is keeping you from returning to God? That's my question. That's my lasting question for you today. What is keeping you from returning back to a God that is waiting for you to come home? It's waiting for you to make the first move. It doesn't care how bad you look or what path of destruction is behind you. He's got all of that. All he's looking for is your heart. He's looking for my heart. It's like a Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, perish but that all should reach repentance. That word repentance is scary, but you know what all it is? is it's just us choosing to return back to him. To God not only forgives our rebellion, he lavishly celebrates our return. There's one part of the parable he told that I wish I'd been there for is the roast beef celebration. That would have been awesome. <laughs> I love roast beef. It would have been the finest of delicacy in that day and age. that He brought to the table to celebrate his return. And God is there waiting because of what Jesus did on the cross to receive you home. What's keeping you? What's keeping you from returning to him? Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us in this moment. God, for those who, um, for today, they've been far from you. Maybe they've been walking slowly away from you and Maybe didn't even realize how far they were from you until this morning. God, maybe they're maybe they're inching along the path of destruction that would end up like the prodigal son ended up with a life of crash and burn. And Father, I pray that they would wake up and realize that there's really not much of a choice, that what they've been doing hasn't been working. But God, you're there waiting behind them with open arms and that regardless of what the rest of the world says about them regardless of what their best friends or family may say about them, Father they may be saying yeah that person is just too far too far, they've done too much wrong they've been gone too long they've spent too much money there's no way they can come back home to you, Father I pray that you would help us right now to turn back to you Father, whatever it is that's keeping us from doing that, Father, I pray that you would take that away in this moment right now when we think about the amazing, beautiful work that you did on the cross. Your full willingness to be shamed, humiliated, embarrassed, your body destroyed for us. God, we thank you for that mercy. We thank you for that love. God, I pray that we regardless of what we may think about our return, Father, I pray that we would just return back to you. Help us to have the courage and the conviction to get over whatever we may think is in the way because you're right there. You're waiting with open arms. Thank you, Father, for the new identity. Thank you for covering our sins. Thank you that our mission is not yet complete and that regardless of how far we've gone, you are ready to receive us back to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.